everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mum, and effortless lifestyle coach, Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now pre-order your very own version of the Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.marinapearson.com slash order. And there you'll find all the amazing goodies that you'll get if you pre-order the book before the 10th of May. And on today's show, I invited Emily Tridget to talk about her experience of postnatal depression. And I really was struck by her courage and tenacity and how it's amazing that we can create beautiful situations from things that we found hard. So she's gone on to create a beautiful campaign called Hashtag Shout Selfie, helping those that are suffering with depressions and so forth um, to share that. Plus, she's also created something called Mummy Links and an opportunity for mums to get together locally so that they feel supported. So we talked about her experience of postnatal depression. We talked about her expectations of what she was supposed to be doing as a mother as opposed to how she was actually feeling. We also talked about what really helped her, uh, how she actually came to accept that she was where she was and it was okay. We talked about how um, mums tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves these days in terms of once they have the baby, they just have to get on and how actually in some cultures, that's actually not the case. They actually spend the first 40 days resting. But something that really struck me from the conversation was how difficult it is to navigate life when you don't actually understand or know that your experience is being created by thought. When you think or when we think that our experience is being created by something other than thought, the sleepless nights, the crying of the child, um, and so forth and so on. It gives us that feeling that we can't cope. Somehow we then turn it on ourselves and think that we are the ones that are failing when that actually isn't true. I also really heard how useful it is to know that those feelings that we don't necessarily like to spend much time in are just waking up us up to the fact that we're just looking in the wrong direction and just letting us know that we think that something other than thought is creating our experience. So if you know of anyone that's going through postnatal depression, if you know of anyone that could do with some help, or if you are listening to this and you are too, then I invite you to come and listen, share and enjoy. So I'm super excited to have Emily. You know, funny how we're guided, right, to kind of have conversations with people. Um, I saw her post on um, one of Facebook groups about what she does and what she's up to, and I reached out to her. And we had a really beautiful conversation about postnatal depression, although I know it sounds strange, right? Beautiful conversation about postnatal depression. But I guess from two women that have experienced it, it was just lovely to see that she's actually doing something really quite amazing from having experienced something like that. So I decided to, to kind of invite her on to share her story, but also um, to share what she's creating um, and, and, and yeah how we can get involved. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Hi. So let's start with 
your story like you know what happened where were you what was going on like you know what was life before pregnancy what was your life looking like that and then kind of where did it go to next Sure. So um, I studied engineering at university, became a strategy consultant and then worked for about five years at Innocent Drinks, the smoothie company. And I was really enjoying my career. My life was really successful, you know, was kind of expecting that when I got to the stage of starting a family, um, I would start a family, you know, take maternity leave and then continue a career, potentially part time, maybe full time, wasn't quite sure. Um, But I guess it kind of all changed when my experience of motherhood wasn't kind of the one that I expected, whether that was from the movies or from friends or whatever like that. So um, in hindsight, I actually really struggled with prenatal. So during pregnancy anxiety, um, but because mental health wasn't on my radar at all at that stage, I didn't really notice it. I just thought, you know, I'm a bit anxious. It's all part and parcel of having a first baby and, and, you know, there wasn't anything really I could do about it or anything that I needed to flag to anyone. But when I had my son, I ended up with a kind of a partially planned uh, cesarean because I had preeclampsia in the end. And I guess my experience was not what I was expecting. I was incredibly anxious being in the hospital. I kept on going outside to get fresh air before I had him. They called me like the runaway mum, a bit like the runaway bride. And I, I guess I just didn't bond with him the way I was expecting to. But at the time, I, I didn't really realise that was weird because I was so caught up in my head trying to get myself through the experience. Mm. It's just hindsight that I saw a lot of this. And when I got home, I felt much better. But then when he hit about three months old, he started sleeping through the night, which was brilliant. Um, like you can't ask for more with a three month old, really. Um, a lot of people would kill for that. But I suddenly stopped. Um, and I, I survived the next, survived definitely the word, the next six months on about one hour sleep every night, which was awful. Um, and I know obviously lots of mums don't have much sleep. That kind of comes with the, the role. But it was like on another level. I was so exhausted throughout the days and then completely couldn't sleep at night. And I found that very frustrating. Um, and I think with that, that kind of brought on the anxiety. Um, and then that made me feel really depressed because... I had always been the kind of person who could be really strong and could kind of battle through anything, whether it was a work thing or anything at home, like I could, you know, get through it. And suddenly I didn't seem to be able to. And that made me feel really kind of down and kind of like, oh, I'm really fading at this mum thing. And, you know, am I a bad person? And I, I kind of went from, you know, being able to talk at conferences or so I used to do supply chain at Innocent. So kind of run the supply chain stuff. But suddenly I couldn't even have coffee with a close friend because the thought of them coming round would just fill me with dread. I get hot and sweaty, it's a bit disgusting, but just felt like I couldn't be there like I felt really trapped in my own house if someone came to visit me I'm really trapped in a cafe or their house or wherever I went to visit them and so I got to the stage where I was basically on my own in my living room um quite often not even with my son my mum lived around the corner so she'd have him quite a lot during the day um because I also had this irrational fear that I was going to be taken ill and then if that happened like I was going to faint or something like that if that happened and I was the only one looking after him like what, what was going to happen to him? Like how long was he going to be on his own for? Um, and I think that's having done research now into mental health, kind of having obtrusive thoughts like that, that is one of the big symptoms that people often don't actually talk about. Um, and yeah, it just became to the point where I, I wasn't really living life at all. I was just literally existing day to day. So I really resonate with this. Um, but wow, you had a three month that slept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that was that was that was the silver lining at the time. Yeah, <laughs> it makes so, yeah. a difference if you're not sleeping. I yeah, remember yes. um, dreading nighttime, like it was the sense of dread that would come over me, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, will he sleep? Won't he sleep?" And then he wouldn't sleep, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, how much time is he going to take to sleep?" Mm-hmm. I was just so consumed by all of this, these thoughts. And all of this thinking around sleep deprivation, because yeah. I've always yeah. been that sort of person that loved sleeping. I don't know about you, but suddenly from going like, I can go to sleep when I want to, well, I guess eight months into the, or six, seven months into the pregnancy, that's not the case anymore. You don't really sleep all that much. Yeah. But then kind of going, oh my goodness, I've got this little thing is, is at my beck and call. And I, I was really struggling with that in terms of the amount of thinking I had around it. And then interestingly enough, and and so I had an insight about sleep deprivation, which was really interesting for me because I thought that the sleep deprivation was the issue. I didn't realize the the amount of thinking I had about the sleep deprivation Mm -hmm. causing the insomnia yeah, completely. I felt because I obviously I wasn't worried about my son being up at night, but every night as it approached bedtime, my anxiety would go through the roof because I was so anxious that I then wasn't going to sleep. And of right. course, that anxiety then means you're not going to sleep. Um, and also, the other thing is actually insomnia. I've since found out is a symptom of various mental health issues like postnatal depression and anxiety. So actually, it's did the anxiety and depression come first, which caused the insomnia? Or was it the insomnia that caused the anxiety? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I remember reading an article, gosh, probably a year or so ago now, where they took a group of students and they disrupted their sleep quite a lot. I think it was just for two nights, not, not for very long. And they, they looked, uh, they had some graphs that they published that looked at their levels of anxiety and their levels of depression after those handful of nights. And they just shot up ridiculously. And I remember thinking, gosh, if that's like a student who, you know, let's be honest, might not sleep that much anyway for various other reasons. But, you know, they're otherwise quite healthy and it massively affects their mental health. You take a mum who's got this day in, day out, you know, they can't have a line in the morning like a student might be able to. They can't, you know, take a day off like a student might be able to. Like they haven't really got much hope. Like you do need a lot, lot more of a support structure around you than we typically now have because, you know, quite often, so I live on the outskirts of London and quite often people don't live near their parents or aunties and uncles and everything like that. And they may have even moved from the flat or the smaller house that they have started their career and their relationship in near some friends further out to a place that's, you know, suitable for a family. And they don't actually have any support structure at all, Um, particularly, you know, with like um, church going and, and things like that reducing as well. Like you don't typically have that support structure. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I think um, postnatal depression and other mental health issues are on the up. Um, obviously, also we talk about it more, so we do know about it. And I've also, I think, through my kind of research for Mummy Links and what I'm doing now, I've definitely found that there there seem to be two kind of economic brackets, socioeconomic brackets that really fit into having these struggles. Obviously, mental health um, can affect anyone. But it often seems to be either the mums in the lower social economic bracket that may not have a partner, won't, might not have the money or the support around them to help them through it, to like, you know, go to baby clubs and see people and stuff. But the other big one is the kind of career women who are used to being independent, in control, haven't been brought up to be mothers like our, you know, our grandparents or our mother's generation may have been, but 
suddenly are thrown into this world where you kind of think I can carry on with my normal life and this baby will fit in, mm-hmm. but like it couldn't be further from the truth, not only physically, but it does. I think it changes you. Like so many of these mums that I know, they say, you know, it just changed my priorities. Like, and it just, I think they have a bit of a kind of identity crisis. I definitely found that. I was like, I kind of, who, who am I anymore? What am I, we're so used to achieving, I think. It's like, what, what am I achieving now? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I remember so interesting because I was very much that that achieve achieve Mm -hmm. achieve 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 and strive 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 and suddenly then I had to get really comfortable with not doing that Mm -hmm. and um but it's been such a huge gift yeah it's definitely a good thing to learn yeah yeah right but at the time like what the hell's going on like oh But it was this moment where I was literally looking at my wardrobe mm. and I had clothes that were there before Leo, mm-hmm. so Marina's body before, <laughs> clothes that were definitely part of the whole mummy program, which mm-hmm. seemed to take up most of the wardrobe, yep. speeding tops, tracksuit yep. bottoms, but there was nothing for the woman that I am at that moment. Like there, there was nothing for Marina, the woman, not the, not the mother, not before the, the single don't know what it's like to have a child, but mm. nothing for the woman that she was today. Mm. And that really struck me mm. because there was a sense of, I don't actually know who this new woman is. Like there's this new woman that's appeared, but I'm not even sure what she likes. Yeah. Um, and, and how to even be comfortable in this new body that I was in, because I don't know about you, Emily, but my body has completely changed. Mm. Yeah. I think it's a tricky one. And I think we often fight to get back, whether it's, you know, physically body shape or mentally back to where we were before we have a child Mm. and actually you're not the same but that doesn't necessarily like you like you're saying you're not just a mum you are a new person we are obviously the same person but you're like a new like personification of yourself or whatever a new expression of who you are yes new expression of who you are and actually that's okay because I remember I, I saw lots of therapists as part of trying to get better and I remember um, the one that kind of eventually made me better because it did take a while. She said that I needed to accept and those around me to accept how I was now to not constantly strive to get back to the person I was before, but to accept how I was now. And I thought, I mean, obviously the, how I was now at that point was quite a broken person. Um, and so I remember a time thinking, oh, I don't know whether that's right. You know, I, I don't want to stay like this forever. I want to, I want to get back to where I was before. I at least want to get back to, you know, enough like I was before. And I remember she actually said that, I mean, I have the most supportive, loving husband I could ever imagine. Um, But I remember her saying that even when he says in love, you know, I'm going to fight to get Emily back. We're going to like try lots of different things until we find what works. And she actually said that that wasn't helpful. What would be better would be for him and other people around me to say, we love you for who you are and we accept how you are like this. And if this is what life is like, I'm standing next to you and we're going to do it together. And actually when 
And because that is true of, of his opinion, it's just not something that he would have ever thought to say. But when he started saying that, and I started saying that to myself, accepting myself, even if that meant I was just living in my living room for the next week, then slowly I stopped beating myself up. I started to see small achievements and successes in, you know, going and walking down the road with my son or going to the local shops once a day. I saw that as a success as opposed to a one overall giant failure of, oh, well, I went to the shops today, but seriously, like a normal one would be able to do that and do this and do this and do this and do this. When actually I went to the shops today and that's more than I did yesterday. And it was just accepting that, you know, I would just expand my boundaries slowly from, you know, from my living room out to my house to my, you know, further out and invite more people into my life slowly. And yes, accepting that there'll be days when, you know, I didn't do as well as the day before, but equally that was okay as well. And for me, that was a really big turning point because otherwise I was constantly battling with myself and berating myself for the fact that I wasn't achieving the life I thought I should, far from it. So it's kind of backwards thing, but it really made a difference. Yeah, it it occurs to me that you heard something for yourself that 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 you had some sort of an insight, some sort of a, um, a shift in the way that you were seeing it, a glimpse of what was actually possible as opposed to the kind of habitual thinking that you were in. Um, it's interesting that we consider ourselves to be broken, right? When in fact we can't be with, I kind of, what I've seen over time and time and time again with all the mums that I've worked with, with the transformation stuff that I've done over the last 15 years, mm. the huge resilience that we have. Um, I was interviewing someone the other day who lost her daughter, who lost her son, and then who lost her fiance. Yes. She is the most beautiful, loving, happy person I have ever mm. met. Wow. And what that would suggest then is, is that we can't break. To me, that, 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 that is so hopeful. And, and what I hear and what you're saying is, is that we may think we're breaking. Mm. We think we are failing. We may think um, that we're no use. But actually, if we're not our thinking then somehow we, it's okay. Like we don't need to take that thinking seriously. Like we can have those thoughts. Yeah, I guess. I think we do still need to look after ourselves. I think if you were in that situation and you weren't able to have any support around you or take any time for what we now call self-care and things like that, Mm. I think you could push very close to or get to breaking. But I think we can take on, you're right, an awful lot more than we think we can. Mm. And yeah, I think it's those people who have a good support system and a good kind of outlook on life, which, you know, I obviously didn't have a few years ago, but I'm kind of learning there that, you know, life sometimes is rubbish and sometimes really difficult, awful things, unfair things do happen. But if you have the kind of systems and the support and things like that in in place you can get through anything but yeah it is yeah it's a tricky one but yeah no I think yeah definitely coming out the other side and then you 
I, the number of mums I speak to now who have struggled and now want to help me with what I'm doing because it does create this, I don't know, sisterhood maybe sounds a bit cliche, but kind of like this sisterhood of mums who have struggled in this case with mental health, but want to help those who are now struggling and getting through it. And I think that's, that's a really beautiful thing because we are the mums who have experienced it firsthand. Mm. And whilst everyone's experience is really different, and actually that's something I've definitely learned over the last few years, we can give hope and support to those mums who are there now. Yeah. And I, and I, and then, and that just, you know, shows me the beauty of humanity, like that, that, that sort of joy, resilience, love. Um, and I wasn't, you know, and, and, and I, and I know support is super important, especially, mm-hmm. you know, there's a chapter in my book that talks about this very thing because we, okay society in the in the modern day life that we have today it's not set up like it used to be they used to the women used to especially when they had the first children they had something called the red tent so they would basically spend 40 days resting Mm. Mm. yes yes so the family would take care of the child now there's something really important about that because it was accepted yeah that's what was going to happen culturally that was a done thing yeah so there was no expectations of the mother going to work there was no expectations of the mother um doing anything other than resting yeah hosting family and friends and yeah no yeah none of that you're resting for the next 40 days and we're gonna let take care of you Right. I think it still happens in some, is it far Eastern countries? I think yeah. I was speaking to someone yeah. the other day and they yeah. still do it. Yeah. yeah. They still do it. Yeah. Mm. So, and they do that. And um, like when I was, uh, when I, cause I was in Bali and when I had Leo and for the first 10 days we had something called a food tree, which is friends of ours delivered food. So I okay. wouldn't have yep. to get up yep. and cook and whatever mm. and what have yep. you. Cause I don't have parents. I mm. didn't have a support. I had my ex, my ex-husband, my husband at the time. Mm. Um, friends would bring food and, and so they, they would put that in the freezer and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Now we now have shifted expectations hmm. the, the expectations that we now live in are different. Like maternity leave in the States is like six weeks. It's just, not I know. um, yeah. you could hardly be through a C-section in that time. Right, no, like <laughs> totally not. Right. Yeah. Mad. Then of course, changing from place to place to place to place Mm. Um, you know some 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 families are set up that they have to move every two years yeah so in terms of support system in terms of people connection in terms of the physical aspect of it Mm. like absolutely i don't think we're set up no especially if you're getting over an operation which for us go getting women it's Mm. oh fine well, no, it's a no. huge bloody operation. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, but because we have that, oh, we're fine, we're good, we can just get through it. Like, yeah, push on through. Right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're going through hell, just keep going. Yep. Um, there isn't any space for, or maybe there should be, and maybe we need to make sure that that's being talked about, which is 
It's okay. It's okay to feel shit. It's okay to feel tired. It's okay to just not want to hang out with your baby. It's okay mm. to want to sleep. It's okay to pass your baby on to other people. Yeah. The one thing you have to do after you give birth is to look after yourself for the next 40 days. That's all you need to do. And I think people or the people I've come across are better at doing that with a second child mm. because they have been through it once and they see actually when people offer me help, I should take it because I need it. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Whereas with your first child, you, you know, you have your family and friends around, you're doing them tea and coffee and cake and you know, you're on day three or something ridiculous. And actually one note, they don't need to come around on day three. And two, if they do come around on day seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, or whatever it might be, maybe they could, you know, run the Hoover round or make you tea or something like that. And I think people are definitely from my experience, I mean, I only have one, but um, my experience, they are more willing to take my office of help when they're on a second child because they know that it's a long slog. It's not just get through the next couple of weeks. It's the next couple of years. And that takes a lot more. So something that I'm hearing you say is that there is a difference between what I think I should be doing, how I think it should look like. And then there is the, what my, then there is listening to what my body needs and our intellect is so good at overriding that that intuition and that wisdom that's inside of us. But in hindsight, and I guess when we go into having our second child, that then we've kind of gone, actually listening to my body might actually be a worthwhile thing. Yeah. And I think you value the role of a mother more once you've done it. Because if I'm honest, I used to think that being a mum was quite easy. That, you know, you got to sit around at home having coffee, chatting to your friends, you know, that it was, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it, I thought it was hard work in one sense, but I didn't think it was anywhere near as hard work as it actually was. Mm. And so I think you do, like, you need to take that into account. Like you then think, actually, being a mum is a full-time job. Like there is, you know, you're constantly thinking about, is my son or, or daughter healthy happy you know they're getting everything they need you know you're planning like you know have we got enough nappies we've got enough food all these different things and even actually if you're not around your child all the time because you have gone back to work or whatever you're still most of the time got that in the back of your brain and I think society doesn't value the mother or, or the father it's the if it's the father at home as like a role I remember reading an article oh, it's probably a year or so ago now and it, it worked out how much a mum should be paid if she was paid for you know her chauffeuring and her chef work and her you know cleaning work and all that and it was some ludicrous amount of money I, I won't be able to remember what it was but it was definitely over a hundred thousand pounds like it was like a really large salary and yet obviously you do it for free which you know I wouldn't expect to be paid to do it but if it you know, it adds so much value to the family unit as a whole and definitely to the child. Yes, it shouldn't be salaried, but it should be valued as something, not just, I'm just a mum, which I think, you know, if you, I remember when I wasn't running mummy links or anything like that, you know, I think, oh, you know, go to a wedding or whatever and you're meeting people and they say, oh, what do you do? And you're kind of like, you don't just say, I'm a mum. You say, I'm just a mum because you're already kind of putting that derogative slant on it, that actually it's not worth anything. And actually we need to start standing up and saying, you know, I'm a full-time, but it's not even full-time mum. I'm a mum and that's fine. <laughs> and it, but it is tricky. I think it's, um, we're a long way off. 
Yeah, and and I and I find that really interesting that we that we are the ones that judge it. Yes, yeah. We're the ones that have some sort of negative connotation around that role because we place a higher value on something else. And I and I you know, and I used to I used to live in that reality and I don't know if 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 that's something that you obviously from what I'm hearing you say is that that reality doesn't feel true for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but that actually there is massive value in bringing out a beautiful human being into the world. And actually, um, one of the things that I've really seen in this journey of motherhood is how present I've become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how they are just, they are amazing at indicating whether you're being present or not mm-hmm. in the moment. And, and it's one of the hardest jobs, I think, because mm-hmm. we're so bloody distracted, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Emily, but especially now with your campaign and so forth, it's like, I've got this and I've got this and blah, 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 blah. Yep. It's actually get really quiet. Mm-hmm. And so Leo for me is, is a meter of that. I can, he can feel it a mile off whether I'm being present to him or I'm not. Yeah. yeah. And you have to be really strict to yourself, don't you? Like <laughs> I, have, I try and fit all my campaign work and stuff when my son is at preschool and I definitely notice it's Easter holidays at the moment. And I definitely notice that. So I have some days where my mum has him and I'm completely in work mode, but I have some days where I've got him the whole day and something pops up on your phone and it kind of just the fact that then I'm like, Oh, I should be sorting out on my phone, but Oh, I should be looking after him as well. Just that split second thought brings in all like the mum guilt, the kind of overwhelm and the kind of like, Oh, what, you know, I'm letting, I'm going to let one of those sides down. And actually you have to try and, well, what I found, obviously it's different for everyone, but that I have to have, you know, some days I'm working or some time periods I'm working, some time periods I'm not. And you have to try really hard not to, let those merge otherwise yeah you don't do either of them a full service and actually you're doing yourself a disservice as well because you've got all those kind of thoughts going through your head of you know which one's right and am I doing the best thing and all that kind of stuff so it is difficult but um yeah it is an interesting one I think we have you know we want to bring up a good healthy strong next generation I um I remember I spoke at a, a conference run by an organization called Mothers at Home Matter, gosh, probably in November, I think. And there was a lady who spoke after me who um she was a, a scientific researcher and she was been looking she'd been looking into lots of research into um the uh kind of what happens if children are put into really, really long childcare hours too soon and for a long time, and kind of finding that, you know. I, I, I'm not a scientist um, anymore, um, so I don't, can't remember all the words, but, you know, like the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and all these different parts that just don't develop properly if they don't have that loving, uh, she was talking about like eye contact and touch and bond. And I was listening at it to what she was saying from the, oh, well, that's very similar to mums with postnatal depression, actually, because it often is the lack of touch and contact, eye contact and bond. And kind of think, oh gosh, what what does that mean for the postnatal mum? And she was saying things like, you know, it can actually affect obesity, which was kind of the whole room kind of gasped, like really. Um, but also, like, it can create, I think she said, anxiety in teenage girls and aggression and low empathy in teenage boys. And you kind of think, 
well actually that's you know that quite well describes what we're seeing in a lot of teenage society obviously you know gross generalization but and it just makes you think actually if we could help mums feel better we could reduce postnatal depression symptoms and get help moms get over it quicker because it affects they say now one in four women and one in ten men you know that's a big chunk of society so we need to be helping those parents to interact well with their children whether it's because they've got postnatal depression or because they're being forced back to work you know after six weeks in, in the US like you say or or a year or so in the UK actually will that help reduce not only the mental health bill but you know society's unhappiness as a whole going forwards and it is interesting I'm, I'm just looking at um doing some research and i found that the cost to society is in the uk per cohort of mums well of babies born to mums struggling with a mental health issue post depression anxiety ocd etc is 8.1 billion per year and you just think wow it's a huge amount and they said that i think it was nearly 30 percent of that cost is to help the mum but 70% is to help the child throughout their life. Mm. If the proper, you know, support and stuff isn't put around the mum and the family at the time. And you just think, gosh, this is something we need to get on top of because actually if, you know, mum's struggling with postnatal depression, we're not looking for help because we think we can do it ourselves. Or in fact, the number of mums who say to me, I didn't realise I had it actually until I was better. And that, you know, they, some of them say, you know, I lost two years of my life and I didn't realise that that was the problem because there's not the level of knowledge that, that you know here's a long list of symptoms that you need to look out for and actually if we can help those mums to realize it sooner to feel happy to get support sooner and therefore to get better sooner that's helping not only them but you know their kids down the line so yeah something I'm, I'm very passionate about trying to yeah reduce that stigma and increase the awareness of it so that hopefully we can help ourselves and generations to come so we'll see I was listening to a, a podcast the other day by a, um, a psychiatrist called Dr. Bill Pettit. Mm-hmm. And he's dealt with psychosis, depressions, anxieties, and so forth mm-hmm. and so on. And in this particular podcast, he was talking about um, a boy that was born without a brain. Oh, so gosh. basically he was only using 2% of his capacity. Mm-hmm. But through the love and understanding of his parents, he grew most of it back. Wow. So on his research and findings, as he does a lot of research, he has seen time and time again that love and understanding is a really big part of the way in which we feel uh, connected. So mm. um, when he talks about love, which is uh, love is love is enough or whatever, but actually understanding, understanding we're all having our own experiences or children having their own experiences that, that are separate from us and that no one's having the same experience as we are yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Right? To see that and be able to go into that person's world, like that to me, and he said it so beautifully, he said, you know, isn't it more beautiful to actually open up your world to make it a little bit bigger by just understanding someone else? Mm-hmm. They're not going to see life in the same way as you. And I just, for me... I just really loved that. It was so beautifully said and so beautifully put, and that's enough. In fact, he's seen time and time again that understanding that, mm. that actually that's enough. And he's seen miracles happen in his practice. Mm. People with anxiety disorders, gone. People yeah. with depression, gone. 
it kind of comes back to what you were saying before, this love and understanding, this support, or, or just basically people in our vicinity. So I guess my question that I have around this is um, for those that are listening in, and for those that don't have that support, that physical support, because I know, I mean, obviously mental too, but, but physically, like I need to bloody sleep, but I can't <laughs> afford to pay for somebody to take yeah. my child away right now. Mm. Child screaming their head off. I need to rest, but I can't because I'm actually don't have that support. So does mummy links help with that? Like, is that a way in which they could reach out to others? And Yeah, definitely. So I guess with mummy links, my aim is to help all mums, not just those mums who are struggling with mental health, but the idea is that if all mums can create that support structure around them locally, that then those who would struggle may now not struggle, or when they do, they've got support around them to help them. Um, And how mums use it. So I have firstly a Facebook group um, that, so it's all quite small at the moment. It's got about 4,000 mums in it where you can post you know a question I'm struggling with this and you'll get support from mums and a large majority have struggled with mental health so that you know you've got that perspective there Um, and it's an invite only or approval only um, Facebook group so that mums can trust those people there Um, but then with the app that I launched uh, last June um, again it's invite only through the Facebook um, group to keep mums knowing that they will be meeting someone who's like a friend of a friend somewhere down the line Um, they can use it to find mums last minute safely as I said but also um, locally so you literally it's the simplest thing ever it's very very simple you put in you know that I'm going to go to this park three o'clock this afternoon pop in the postcode the time the date and you send it um, into the app and then that pings a notification to all the mums within at the moment it's 30 miles of where you are it's UK only at the moment Um, And that sends a ping to the person's phone that says, you know, this person user 123 is going here. Would you like to join them? And you can say yes or no. Um, And there's a little bit of a comment section underneath that play date, we call them. You can, you know, say, oh, looks like rain or going to be late or whatever it might be. But it's about using technology to facilitate face-to-face meeting. Because, you know, there's lots of research. We know that technology isn't and social media and things like that has great benefits but also can be detrimental to us as well and I didn't want to create another platform for mums to you know debate parenting techniques or whatever it might be but it's literally helping mums close by connect in real time they get out of their house for a bit of fresh air a little bit of exercise maybe if they're going to walk there and like a chat and the plan is, well, not the plan, it, it works. It's, it's like non-judgmental. It's not matchmaking. This mum's like me or she's in my social economic bracket or I'd be friends with her forever. It's literally, I want to meet now. She's free to meet now. Let's go. And I think I set it up because it's kind of what I wanted when I was struggling with mental health a lot because I couldn't sign up to, you know, the monkey music courses or the baby massage courses or whatever because... I didn't want to waste money on a six week or 12 week course where I had not a clue whether I was going to make a single class because I didn't know if I was going to be having a good day or a bad day. And actually for me, as I said before, getting out and going somewhere new was something that I really struggled with. And so I wanted to be able to meet just mums kind of on my terms and actually find, because I found as well that I'd stopped creating play dates with my close mum friends because 
quite often I'd back out of the last minute due to anxiety. Like I, I mentioned, I couldn't like have friends around for coffee and stuff. I'd come up with some silly excuse or I'd say I was feeling really ill last minute. And then obviously some of them stopped trying to set up play dates because I was completely unreliable, um, which it was not a personality trait I normally have. I'm very reliable. So I then found that very frustrated in myself. But the idea that you can just be like, oh, actually I want to do something now. Let's see if someone can join. Or the converse, which is if I'd had Mummy Links app in my pocket and it pinged and it said, you know, so-and-so that I may or may not know is going to the park in two hours time, that might be enough to get me out of the house. I might not have thought of going to the park, but actually the fact that it's pinged says, yeah, actually I'm going to go. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of set it up for myself just with a local WhatsApp group with local mums. It had about 20 or 30 mums. And we would say, you know, someone would say we're going to the park and more often than not, one, two, three or more would join. And I thought, if I am struggling with this, and actually I'm quite a confident person, I'm the person who um, creates the play dates and the get togethers in my group, like I always have been. If I'm struggling to find people, then there must be tons of other mums in a similar situation. And that's where the app came along. I just thought, right, I'm going to create this for everyone around the UK so anyone can use it. Um, and that's what we're doing now. So it, like I said, it's quite small. We've got a thousand mums on there at the moment. Um, and it really relies on mums, inviting mums to make it bigger. So we've got a few pockets around the country. Um, and it's exciting. Like if I've had people get in touch saying, you know, they met, you know, their cousin's cousin or something that, you know, they had tons in common with, but they just, you know, didn't know they lived down the road or other people saying that actually their therapist, they had done CBT therapy and they said, now you need to, you know, create a support structure around you. And they didn't know how to find those mums. Um, and then they'd be able to use mummy links to do that. And sometimes they make a lifelong friend. You know, they, some of people have said, you know, I've got one or two friends now that I meet regularly with, and that's great. But for other people, it's not going to work like that. It's just finding someone to do something with now so that we all feel a bit happier and supported in life. Um, and I'd love to use it to get to the point where uh, it'll be different around the country. But I, I know I used to live in, in Rains Park near Wimbledon and you'd walk down the road and there were buggies everywhere, mums and buggies everywhere. But you'd all just be head down and ignore each other. And like, I'd love to get to the point where you'd walk down the road and, you know, you might just smile and nod, say hello, maybe stop and have a chat even and become mums supporting each other and just even just smiling at each other as opposed to you know head down I'm a mum on my own and I need to get through this mm. like we're in it together so let's mm. bring ourselves together and do that properly that's mm. the hope anyway it's a beautiful vision um but also you'd been um talking about a campaign that you've created right the mm. hashtag shouty selfie yeah um what I love about your story is is that you saw something for yourself. You decided that you were going to actually now support others in that, in that endeavor. And so this campaign is part of, um, yep. I guess, postnatal depression awareness. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so it's for, it kicks off maternal mental health week, which is kind of the first week of May. It, it jumps slightly into the back end of April this year. Um, and it's been run the last three years, the maternal mental health week. And th um, so two years ago, um, they asked for people to come up with ideas to get their their hashtag and things like that out there. Um, and it's quite funny. I'd only been on social media literally for two months other than Facebook. I was completely new to Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I thought, oh, I just came up with this idea, hashtag shouty selfie. And I thought people should be shouting that they are 
either proud to have or have got through a mental health issue like post-natal depression, or they should be shouting, you know, that they support and love those people who do. So it's very simple. I just get people to take a selfie of them shouting, post it on um, this year. It's on the 29th of April, post it on there with the hashtag shouty selfie. Um, and that can be all they do. Or I do collect email addresses and I send some like exact wording that people can use. Um, I've got about, I think, 600 initiators, I call them this year, where they'll pop that post out first thing in the morning that day and really get it going. And in the first year, it got maternal mental health trending in half an hour, which was amazing. Um, and one million impressions. And last year was eight million impressions. And considering I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, it's obviously a campaign that you know really strikes a chord with a lot of people. So we had Huffington Post and BBC Five Live and Sky News last year supporting it with Heads Together and a few celebrities and stuff like that as well. And we've got some lined up for this year. And it's, it's really nice because it's something that's so close to so many mums' hearts. And the last two years, the text that I've asked people to use, but they, they can tweak it if they want to or completely change it. They, write, they wrote something like, this is my hashtag shouty selfie because I love a mum who struggled with postnatal depression. Then it had a bit more information. And the idea is that because I know some mums have struggled, but they still don't want to out themselves, so to speak. So it can just be them saying that they love someone with it. They can be talking about themselves. They can be talking about someone else. And it's it's just really nice. And then I create throughout the day a kind of, I call it the Hall of, Shouty Selfie Hall of Fame, like a collage of all of the faces shouting. Um, and it's like this huge, big picture of tons of faces, everyone shouting together. And yeah, it just it just seems to work really well. People just really like it. So yeah, hopefully it's going to get bigger and bigger each year. And I think we have seen more and more mums and like following celebrities and things like that talking about these struggles and just normalising it really, saying, you know, it happens to one in four mums. Most likely it's happened or is happening to a mum that you know if it's not you. And so let's stand together and say that we show our support. And kind of what occurs to me is, is that um, being, being human, it's just part of the human condition. Like, I'm not saying that, oh, you're human, therefore you're going to suffer. It was more like we all, like most of the work that I've done, the people I've seen, they've all struggled at one point or another. And it would seem to me that, that we really aren't alone. And I, and I guess this understanding of like, me too, I've been through it, as you say, normalizes it. Yeah, because I think, so I remember when I looked into loneliness, I, so obviously Mummy Links helps with the physical loneliness more but shouty selfie helps more with the emotional or mental loneliness because it was when I started talking about how I was feeling to friends, family, and eventually the media, I was astounded at how many mums said to me, yeah, me too. I'm feeling just like that. And, you know, some of them said they were on antidepressants. Some of them said they were having therapy. Others weren't, but you know, and I just thought I'm not on my own in this. And that immediately made me feel better because I thought there was, you know, something fundamentally wrong with me when actually, you know, I'm just the 25% of mums that it affects. And, you know, we know that there's a link between loneliness and depression. And we as mums are the loneliest, loneliest we've ever been. Like we feel connected through Facebook and social media and stuff like that. But actually, you know, we're not, you know, going down to the stream to wash our baby's diapers like together or, you know, we're not around people. And I remember reading a statistic that loneliness can be as bad as 15 cigarettes a day is for your physical health. And you're just, you know, we all know whether we smoke or not, we all know that it's not great for us physically. So why are we letting loneliness continue growing in our society? Like we need to, we need to stop it. Well, I guess the feelings of loneliness, if we don't understand 
where they're coming from, it would suggest that it becomes this issue. I, I think normalizing it is a beautiful, beautiful way because it, a lot of the time, especially for us strong women, we berate ourselves, right? We judge ourselves. We, we, we say, well, this isn't me. This is, should not be happening. But if we just accept that yeah. it can happen. Yeah. Yes. My therapist always got me to stop saying I should do this or this should have happened. It's not, nothing should. There's no expectation. It's just something does or doesn't happen. And Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then we make a meaning out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's that meaning that, that, that creates all of that thinking emily if, if somebody wants to get in contact with you and wants to be part of this and everything else how yeah. can they do that so if they go to mummylinks.com slash shouty selfie um which is spelled ie at the end of both shouty and selfie um then they'll find a page that has a link where they can sign up um to a mailing list where they get updates over the next couple of weeks in terms of you know what to write on and on the posts there's also a bit of a bit more information about Shouty Selfie and who supported it and the Hall of Fame picture from last year. Um, and also on that website, I've got blogs of my experience. Um, not as many as I'd like. They're not all up there. Um, but also on social media, I'm just at Mummy Links app. Um, they can find posts there. I often share my experience, but also I'm, I'm very collaborative. Like I love sharing other people's experiences as well. Um, and like things about symptoms and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the best place is the website, mummylinks.com. And then from there, they can find out all the other bits and pieces. Wonderful. So thank you. Amazing. And um, I, for those of you that have been listening, I hope that you join in and that you, that we all in it together. Yeah. Fabulous. Until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may well enjoy the book as well. You can either download a free chapter, www.marinapearson.com slash chapter, where I go into much more depth into how we can create more time and space as mums. And if that doesn't fly and you're more curious about getting the entire book, then you can do that too at www.marinapearson.com slash pre-order. There you'll find a page with all the amazing goodies that you'll get if you pre-order it before the 10th of May. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.